Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church. In this episode of 1A, we will continue our discussion on how Scripture speaks to depression. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay updated on when a new episode is released, please download our app. You can do so by searching for our church, First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina, in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Amen. Well, that's helpful to see how Scripture can give that biblical picture of depression. And these are not the only places. You know, are there any other passages that you can think of where you see a a biblical lens lending sort of a language of metaphor to our sorrows or a language for our sorrows? Yeah, I mean, I really do think the Psalter is your go-to resource, and you, you could go to pretty much mm-hmm. any of the five books and find readily language that helps people explain what their sorrows feel like. If it's somebody who is parched, if it's somebody who is in darkness, if it's somebody who is exhausted, if it's somebody um, who can't find food, whatever it is, there's shelter language. On the opposite side of depression, the Lord is often described as a strong tower, a defense, a horn of salvation. And so oppositely, it's a vulnerableness, a loneliness, an isolatedness, mm. not being protected, not being sheltered, being food for the enemy. That Those sort of analogies and descriptions are often used inside of Scripture. And then you think of something like Elijah. I think we mentioned this last time when he's on the run and he, you know, he thinks he's the only prophet and he's not, but he believes that and his life is on the line because he's just wiped out the prophets of Baal. And you you see a, a momentary so this that that would be more the momentary depression like a a couple of days versus the two weeks or longer sort of thing you see a momentary mm. depression a momentary depression that got so intense that he wanted to die and mm. and that does happen in fact I probably mentioned this before but one of my dear friends from Jackson she was married to an elder there in Jackson Mm. and he committed suicide and you know I mean he's in his 60s and to this day we still don't understand exactly why he committed suicide Mm. it didn't seem like there was anything out there necessarily and and no one no one got the sense that he was overly depressed it just it just it's befuddling quite honestly and when I called and talked to her oh and I love this woman to death she is kind of a picture of a godly woman she said, Josh, some wives lose their husbands to a heart attack, and I lost mine to a depression attack. Mm. And I've always thought that is incredibly wise. And that's what Elijah, Elijah's in that place where he's having an, a depression mm. attack, right? And, yeah. and he wants his life to end. Praise the Lord. You know, the Lord comes and gives him, was he give him rest and food? You know, just biological stuff. But that, that's mm-hmm. other language and other times when we see depression, I think, in Scripture. Yeah, so it sounds like both to the, the depressed and to the person who is 
having someone, a loved one who is depressed. It sounds like what we're trying to point out in this segment is that there's a language of sorrow prevalent in God's word that allows us to know that even if we're in that deepest, darkest place of spiritual hopelessness, God's word meets us. And it's a very real testimony to the full range of our experience as his people. That's right. There's, there's no experience inside of believers life that scripture doesn't speak to. And not just in a stop it, get over it, pull yourself up from your bootstrap sort of way, but again, mirroring the character of Christ in a compassionate way, in a way that says, yeah, I understand. I get it. Yeah. Well, Josh, I think one last question for our time today would be helpful to discuss would be, does Scripture seem to show how depression might come from something we're thinking or something we're wanting or maybe even something we're doing. I think we have to be really careful how we talk about that because we don't want to in any way make someone who's depressed feel like you're the person that did this at all. But I think that it might be a helpful question to ask. Does scripture point to some possible sources of circumstances to our depression? Yeah. So, and I think what I would say here is that a disordered, Thinking, feeling, or doing can lead to depression. Mm. Rightly ordered thinking, doing, and feeling can help provide a measure of resilience, but even those who are doing all of that right may find themselves, for other reasons, like what we talked about last episode, if it's biological or other, ending up depressed anyways. Mm. And we don't need, again, to live in fear of the depression, like it's the boogeyman. Yeah. Let's talk about those three categories, disordered, thinking, feeling, or doing. And I think what Scripture would show is that if we are disordered in our thinking, if our thoughts continue to run after ourselves and the world, Mm. our own pride, our own wealth, our own power, how others perceive us, whatever it is, rather than the things of God, And God tells us not only what are good and right, but he also prepares us for seasons of difficulty, that as Christians and believers, we will run into those seasons, and those seasons are not evidence of his lack of love or presence, but can be quite the opposite. It can be helping you build up that hope, or it can be the discipline of a loving father in that Hebrews 12 sort of way. So, Our thoughts are to be thoughts that we mold, uh, in Paul's language, to take captive so that they are thoughts that are running after the thoughts of God. It's when our thoughts are trying to think in the same way as God's, as best we can, recognizing we are finite beings and he's an infinite being, that we find ourselves most fulfilled. And I think people sometimes are like, well... You know, I do my Bible reading, and I think about godly things for like five or ten minutes, and it's like going to the gym. Mm. And therefore, the rest of the day, I'm okay. Now, again, what I know about the gym is very small, but that's sort of what I get the <laughs> sense that people think about it. It's it's this penance mm. sort of intense thing I do once so that the rest of the day I can kind of do whatever I want. And the truth is, is that mm. the more we're getting our minds to think after the minds of God, the more and more we will be satisfied, the more we will begin to feel like we are 
being deployed and used in the way that we were created to be employed and used. Now, that's not easy. It's actually a very difficult thing to constantly be keeping the things of God at the center of our mind because our hearts are hearts of flesh and sin, and it's always putting things in our minds that are worldly. What was it? Calvin said that our hearts are factories of idols, right? Uh, yeah. And so we are mm-hmm. constantly producing these idols in our hearts. So it's it's a hard thing to do. But disordered thinking, thinking that's on the world rather than on the Lord, is thinking that leads to more easily, more readily, depression. So all of a sudden we're thinking about our own glory, our own wealth, our own power, uh, how much people like us. Mm. And then those things begin to go askew. Dreams that we had don't get attained. Money that we thought we had all of a sudden goes the way of the dodo because the economy collapses. Something happens. Mm. And then we find ourselves less resilient because our thoughts have been the thoughts of the world. Now, those thoughts also then shape our hearts. They shape our affections. So what we think about is what we long for, is what we desire. So Sinclair used to ask the question, what do you think about when you're thinking about nothing at all? What it, where is it that your mind goes when it has a chance to not have to actively be engaged in anything? And if it's on sports, then when that sports team fails, and the likelihood is, especially if you're a Vikings fan like me, that sports are <laughs> going to fail, all of a sudden, Let's not talk about sports right I, now, Josh. I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> I'm a Gamecocks fan. You might have it bad as a Vikings fan, but you're not a Gamecock fan. <laughs> Adair is triggered. We have to stop the recording now and give Adair 10 minutes to cool down. But if that's what you're thinking, so you're just waiting at the stoplight, and the next thing you think about is the Gamecock recruiting class or Vikings training camp or whatever. That's where your mind tends to go. When those things don't pay off, Mm. then all of a sudden you're going to be open to depression. And even, and this is the ironic thing, even when it does pay off, even when all of a sudden they're the national champions, they're the best in the world at this sport, is that really worth all the emotional labor you put into it? Does it really make you feel like you're the king of the world and that all other things are okay? I remember after Clemson won the national championship, an article from Desiring God saying, all my life I had waited for this moment. Mm, yeah. But I remember him saying, this is really not what I had thought it would be. Right. And this, again, challenges what I've been wanting most in my heart and how it's not Christ and how that ultimately leads to an empty feeling. That's right. And I was like... Better you than me. At least I have a failing team. <laughs> I will never know what that is like, Barnabas. Yeah. <laughs> Son of encouragement. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if our thoughts are running out of things in the world, it shapes our hearts. And then even if we get those things, all it does is make us want a little bit more. There's never enough money. There's never enough power. There's never enough yeah whatever and then it also shapes our doing what are we doing are we doing things that help the lord's people and help us to love the lord more or are we doing the things that help ourselves and focus on Mm. us and focus on whatever those desires of the hearts are well it's probably that Mm. and and again does that have sustainability no it doesn't it just leads to depression So I think scripture would tell Mm. you that in all three of those aspects, what we think, 
what we feel, what we do. And this is called, technically it's called faculty psychology. And it would mm. have been how the Puritans would have thought of people. So John Owen, his mortification of sin, he looks at the mm. mind as the guard tower and then the heart and then the doing. And so it's all three of those pieces mm. that if we don't have those things set on the Lord and in, in a very Owen-esque sort of way, I think the thoughts are the easiest one for us to guard and pick off. Mm. So we need to be like the guard on the watchtower, looking out for when our minds wander and our heart begins to wander. And instead of being slow to bring that back, be quick to bring that back. Mm. Not in a shaming way, because then you just tend to do it more under the covers. Instead, in a sort of like, okay, my mind began to wander towards whatever again, no big deal, let's recenter it on, on Christ and the things of Christ, right? And, and you do that. Mm. That's the habit you get in your mind. Your heart and your volition, your, your heart and your hands will begin to express themselves in ways that, because they are Christ-like, lead to a greater resilience to depression, anxiety, and anger. Hmm. That's incredibly helpful. So to summarize where we've been, we've talked about a little bit of how we see the language of our sorrow in Scripture but also how we see how scripture helps us guard and warns us about what we can do in our thinking, our feeling, and our doing, not to avoid depression, but even in the midst of depression, begin to form our thoughts, loves, and our actions after the Lord and after or him meeting us where we are, and also to maybe move back to a place where we aren't even that way. And it's it's easy for us to to sit on this side of it, neither you or I are depressed, and to forget that this is something that happens over a, it can be at least an incredibly long season for them in the process of doing this. And so right. that's that's I, I think that's the disclaimer that we have to put on all of it is that you know none of this factors in the amount of time that this takes. Right. And the Lord's sovereign desire for us to be in that season to sanctify us to be more like Christ. That's that's the I think the difficult reality behind this is that you can do all these things. You can be thinking the right thoughts, having the right affections, having, doing the right things. And yet still you're in a maybe Job ish sort of season where the Lord has sovereignly brought this in your life. That's the other, I think, end of scripture that makes us uncomfortable, but is still in one sense, deeply encouraging because it means that not even those seasons are out of the hands of our God. And yet we need to be willing to, like you said, sit for a week and shut our mouths mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just listen right. to our friends who are in this season. Right. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. You look at someone like Job, the most righteous man on the face of the earth at his time. So it's not like, and, and that Job's friends were arguing, Job, you've done something to deserve this. And he hmm. didn't. And that that's the point is that if you're thinking rightly, feeling rightly, doing rightly, it does bring a measure of resilience to you. That is absolutely true. But there is no such thing as suffering proof Mm. or depression proof. Mm. If the most righteous person in the history of ever was the suffering servant and God Mm. would have his own son suffer, why in the world wouldn't we? You know, and it it should cause us to uh, examine our complaint when all of a sudden we're suffering. And where is God? Why would he turn his back? I mean, why would he cause me to suffer like this? Actually, the fact that you're suffering 
helps you to understand Jesus all the better and makes you more like him. Mm. And, and mm. The, it's, it is a gift. It's not, a, it's not the sort of gift that you hope for, that you would prescribe to anybody, but it is a wonderful gift. And people often see that in hindsight rather than in the middle of it, which is why, again, going back to Romans 5, that second piece is endurance, right? Suffering, endurance, you've got to endure, and then you can get the character and the hope, you know? Mm. Well, Josh, this has been super helpful. Where are we going to go next time? Right. Um, I think where we're going to go next is I, I think we're going to try and look at the gospel itself and how does the gospel mm. affect those who are depressed and those who are dealing with depression. Hmm. Well, wonderful. Well, so we've talked about what is depression. We've talked about what is the language that scripture gives to us. And it's exciting to begin to think, how do we begin to really apply to the gospel in our lives, both for those who are suffering from this malady of soul and also who those who have a loved one who's, who's suffering from this too. And I, I look forward to doing that next time. Yeah, me so. too. Me too. Uh, if you are listening to this and you didn't catch our first episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's going to give you a bit of a grid. Uh, and then in our next episode, again, like Josh said, we'll, we'll try and look more at the gospel, specifically how we apply that. Um, and I think, I think hopefully by the end of this particular series, it will give people some good handles on how to apply scripture and have a grid for scripture for themselves. If they're dealing with depression or if there's someone in their life that's dealing with depression. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Adair? No, I'm good. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks for being with me again. And thank you to all our listeners for listening. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us. You can contact Adair at jadair at firstpresscolumbia.org. You can contact me, Jay Squires, at firstpresscolumbia.org. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, God bless. <laughs>